Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, welcome back. Missed you last week. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be back. It is great to be with you today, folks. We are going to get into some really, really good stuff. <laughs> Riveting conversation about <laughs> COP28. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the only topic for the show today. I say we get right into it. Let's do it. talking about one thing and one thing only, COP28. We're going to break down today's discussion into two segments, what happened and then what our thoughts are on it. The 28th Annual Conference of the Parties, or COP28, was held in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and was scheduled to take place from November 30th to December 12th. Some of the good things that came out of the negotiations included a $30 billion fund from UAE President Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahayan for global climate solutions with a goal of $250 billion in investment by the end of the decade, $700 million in funding to help developing nations deal with losses and damages attributed to climate change, more than 130 countries signing a declaration to include emissions from farming and agriculture in their national climate plans, over 25 food and agriculture organizations planning to work together on regenerative agriculture at a larger scale, which is great. 118 countries agreed to triple their renewable energy capacity targets to 11,000 gigawatts globally by 2030 and to double energy efficiency in the same time frame. 50 oil and gas companies pledged to reach net zero methane emissions by 2030 with an official plan on how to do this by 2025. So next part here, I'm going to include some timestamps of when I was writing this so that, you know, listeners can kind of appreciate how chaotic crunch time of these negotiations can be. Um, just before we get into it, the way that COP28 is structured at every conference of parties before this is the first two days are going to be your opening ceremonies. And then every single day after that has a theme. So we're not working on the final resolution really until all themes and all the important data for those themes have been laid out. So the last two days, Monday, Tuesday, December 11th and 12th in this case, that's when resolution becomes drafted, negotiated, resolved. I wrote the first part of the section on Tuesday night when COP28 went into overtime as countries basically scrambled to make a sweeping climate deal out of all of these negotiations. The most contentious issue was the continued use of fossil fuels after a draft of the resolution released on Monday did not call for a, quote, phase out. The group of small island nations, which is mostly in the South Pacific, um, they called the Monday draft a death sentence because of the lack of strong language for phasing out the very same fossil fuels that are causing sea level rise to threaten the survival of their countries. It sounds like semantics, but... In climate negotiations, the difference between should and must, you know, could and would phase out 
phase down are really important. The United States, the European Union, and over 100 other nations called for the phase out to be included in the resolution, but OPEC and its allies pushed back on this. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry reportedly left a meeting Tuesday night to tell reporters that he believes the language used about fossil fuels was getting stronger. The next part of the summary was written on Wednesday evening after the resolution was agreed upon Wednesday morning around 2.45 a.m. Eastern Time. The agreement ultimately did not include the word phase-out, but it did call for countries to accelerate a global shift away from fossil fuels in a, quote, just, orderly, and equitable manner by the end of this decade. This includes a call to quit adding new carbon dioxide emissions to the atmosphere by 2050. That language is important because it doesn't mean we have to stop using fossil fuels. It means that every new amount of carbon that's emitted has to be able to be caught, captured, and stored. This deal is not legally binding, which means countries are not obligated to act on it. They should act on it. This could lead to international contention if they don't act on it. But there's no established punishments, no established fines, etc. for not meeting whatever pledges they make here. In the next two years, every nation is expected to submit a detailed formal plan on how they're going to reach their greenhouse gas emissions reductions goals through 2035. Representatives from small island nations said that the loopholes in the agreement meant that the resolution as a whole is not enough to avoid devastation to their countries. And now that we've gotten the factual stuff out of the way, we are going to get into our opinions and just how we're feeling after a quick word from our sponsor. Val Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co slash TPT and save 15%. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co slash TPT. All right. So now that we've laid out what happened at COP28, Matt, how are you feeling about it? Oh man, loaded question. Um, I will say I feel like the odds were kind of stacked against COP28 from the start. Yeah. President of COP28, Sultan Al-Jabir, was the head, sorry, is the head of Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. So you have like this oil tycoon, you know, head of a, the state-run mm-hmm. oil company heading the talks that are supposed to phase out the very use of the thing that made him all of his money and gave him all of his power and gave him all of his influence. Yeah. So I, I, I just have a hard time being optimistic about something like this when, you know, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing, except the wolf is literally in the house. And and it wasn't just Sultan Al-Jabur. It's it's almost 2,500 fossil fuel representatives that were involved with COP28 in negotiations or influencing negotiators. And this is all while politicians are discussing how to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius in order to prevent the worst of climate change. So to me, this is like inviting McDonald's CEO to a global conference on how to help people lose weight. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. And 
you know, to Algebra's credit, he had said the writings on the wall, if it's inevitable, we're going to stop using fossil fuels. His goal was how do we do this in a responsible way? Mm-hmm. But what's responsible to him who has a vested interest in making more money off of oil in the short term is very different than what is responsible and what is, you know, equitable and transparent to everyone else sitting at the table. Yeah. Like I'm not saying there's no place for fossil fuel representatives in these discussions because like as it stands right now, we don't have the infrastructure in place to stop using fossil fuels tomorrow. I wish we did. Right. I wish you and I could sit here with our 100 percent solar and wind powered apartments that are generating no new carbon emissions as you and I use our laptops to record this. We can't do that. Yeah. So, you know, there is a place here for the Sultan Altabirs of the world to say, hey, I think we should plan on using less fossil fuels, but still using them and figuring out a way to use them in a way that isn't going to like set us back forever. Yeah. Um, But their involvement should be just that ensuring a smooth transition, not making sure we use as much as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. What's crazy to me is that we literally talked about this specifically probably about four or five months ago about how Sultan Al-Jabir was going to be the president of COP28. We were really hoping that his bias didn't play a part in negotiations and basically his life's work essentially um, doesn't play a part in negotiations. And a couple months later, here we are again being proved right. And like, if anything comes of this, I hope it serves as a precedent to say, yeah, let's just like never get a fossil fuel tycoon to help make climate negotiations. Like no this was going to happen. It was, it was absolutely like written in the sand that this was going to happen. And I'm not saying that fossil fuel, like you said, shouldn't have a seat at the table um, because they are a piece of the energy puzzle. But when you basically have the king of oil as your president to a climate conference, you're probably in bad shape from the get go. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, in talking about bias and talking about like his bias coming through, he he did a better job than I was expecting. But the bar was low. <laughs> like I was yeah. expecting him to go in and be like. There is no science because that's basically what he said and then backtracked two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, he said there's no science that's saying we should phase out fossil fuels quickly. Yes, there is. We covered it last week. Um, It was reported that that came out before the conference started. But like Mm -hmm. he said that he did say that he backtracked on it and he he tried to do some some PR. But like, yeah. The, the damage was done. You know, I, I was not very trusting of how this negotiation was going to go from the start because of his influence in the oil community. Um, and that was kind of just like the nail in the coffin for me to say, take everything that comes out of this with a grain of salt. And it's not to say that, like, he did a bad job because apparently he did want to include language of how do we transition? How do we phase out? He I would say appears to me as a businessman that happened to get his money through oil, not an oil guy. Like he is looking on how do I make money, which for better or for worse, you know, there's been a lot of harm to the planet in trying to make as much money as possible because oil was profitable for a long, long time and continues to be profitable. Mm -hmm. But I think that he at least recognizes like, as he said, the writings on the wall, we're going to stop using fossil fuels. That's good because there are a lot of other people in his shoes that could say, 
well, I don't think we really need to do this or do what Shell and BP and Exxon are all secretly hedging on that we fail, Mm -hmm. that humanity doesn't stop climate change, that humanity doesn't make the worst of its effects not happen. And then we're all like, well, whatever. We might as well just do whatever's cheapest. We already have this infrastructure. Like we can't get complacent at the national stage and at the international stage. And I I believe Sultan Algebra did a good job of avoiding that line of thinking. But, you know, he felt pressure from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, of course, is the head of OPEC right now um, to make sure that any language related to fossil fuels was removed from the resolution. This was ultimately compromised on when transition away from fossil fuels was added to the final resolution. But, you know, for someone who made his money through oil, I'm sure having Saudi Arabia say, hey, make sure this isn't in there. That goes a lot further than it would if it's someone who, you know, is the head of the biggest solar company in the world that's heading COP29, which that's not going to happen. But like, let's say it was, you know, that person's probably going to be like, I don't care what you're saying because <laughs> they don't have that vested interest in oil right. the way that Sultan Ajabiri did or the way that other OPEC nations did. So I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about, about the way that it was all structured. I do want to get a little bit into how I feel about the resolution and something that I keep reading from activists and environmental organizations is later is too late. And it's really so true. Like we're running out of time to make meaningful change. Um, It it, it looks like, to be completely honest, we're not going to reach the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. So that's not to say, well, we didn't hit 1.5 and get an A on this project. Let's limit it to two degrees Celsius and get a B on this project. No, it's like 1.5 would have been a B. Yeah. And every fraction of a degree, 1.6 is like a B minus. 1.7 1.7 is a C plus. Like these are not close. Right. Right. Two degrees is failing this class. 1.9 is you pass with like a 66 out of a hundred. Like it's not, it's not good if we limit it to two degrees Celsius. So if 1.5 is impossible, we need to do everything we can to make sure that it's 1.51, yeah. 1.52 until that 1.5 dream is officially dead push for that get there 1.4 is infinitely better but it just looks like that's not going to happen um you know i'd be remiss if i didn't say that a lot of good things came out of the the final hours of cop 28 now it's about accountability pledges are great i'm happy to see pledges to transition away from fossil fuels because we need it it's not as strong as it should have been it's not as strong as we need it to be but we need these pledges to happen but at the end of the day, they are just that. They're just words. I now need to see us actually continue to implement these plans and make sure that we don't waste the opportunity that COP28 somehow gave us after looking like things were going to get really bad in the final hours leading up to Tuesday. If nothing about fossil fuels was included, this would have been a tremendous failure. And instead, I kind of look at it as this could be great. This could be nothing. Mm-hmm. And I really hope it pushes closer to great, but we're, we're going to have to see. You know, Without legally binding commitments, what is stopping countries from backtracking? What is stopping a new political regime to come into power and says, well, I didn't agree to this. My predecessor did mm-hmm. and, and pull us out of certain agreements the way like Trump did with the Paris Agreement. Yeah, absolutely. And the one quote that I pulled from from what you said um, 
before the break was this deal isn't legally binding, so countries are not obligated to act. And that is the most important piece to the puzzle. How many cops have we been through where nothing changes because of language that is not binding? Like, or we'll make like targets. We'll make like willy-nilly targets that we have no chance of reaching as a way to, in the short term, just appease people and just get them to stop talking. And and I mean, that's the main problem with Paris. Like Paris was this sweeping monumental agreement that wasn't legally binding. And we just kind of relied on name and shame was essentially the the nickname for it, where it's like, you name your targets. And if you don't hit it, international community is going to like give you a slap on the wrist and be like, Hey Nick, you know, you really should have done better on this one. We're going to increase our tariffs and like maybe trade a little bit less favorably with you, but like you can get around that. Exactly. And same thing that you're saying, they can get around it by saying, Oh, I'm a new regime. This is a new political, you know, I'm a new political power. I haven't been in this country for, I haven't been in charge of this country for X amount of years. And like, while I do feel we're getting more aggressive in what we're asking for, and we're, we're starting to use a little bit more stronger language we have to keep each other liable and keep our word after leaving these conferences and not just say something because we're on a stage or because we're, you know, at a conference mm-hmm. and we want to leave because there's actual people's lives at stake. Like the people who live on small, small islands or in areas subject to sea rise actually have to start thinking about making plans um, towards what they're going to do in the next 10 years. So just try and think for a second, what that would feel like to uproot your entire family and what you'd have to go through mm-hmm. financially and emotionally and physically in order to make that happen. Yeah. And I mean, when that group of countries is calling this a death sentence in the original draft that didn't include anything about fossil fuels, believe them, right? Like yeah. they, they are very, very invested on what language is used because they have traditionally contributed the least Mm-hmm. to climate change, but they are the most vulnerable to its impacts. So when those groups of countries are saying, hey, this doesn't work for us, believe them. I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial and might be something that, you know, we don't even want to really dive into too much after this, but I will leave that one up to you and to the listeners. This feels like a wasted opportunity to me by not including the words phase out of fossil fuels. I am happy a compromise was met. I'm happy that, you know, we included transitioning away from fossil fuels, but I just feel like the entire COP process has been way too heavily influenced by some combination of oil and gas companies and the ruling class protecting the interests of the few. Our continued relationship with fossil fuels to me has felt like class warfare against poorer people and poorer nations that will not be able to adapt as easily to climate change. They aren't going to be reliant on our oil anymore or the oil from richer nations. So this almost feels like a move to make sure that they are reliant on richer nations for something. In this case, I'm talking about climate adaptations, you know, keep people wanting our products so that they have to buy solar panels for us because they're not buying uh, oil from us anymore. Keep the richer nations rich instead of evening the playing field internationally by just helping people, by just helping the planet, by just getting everyone caught up to speed so that we have better tech, better agriculture, better water infrastructure, yeah, better things that are going to make people like me and you, our lives better everywhere around the world. And, and maybe I'm taking this too far by calling it class warfare, but like to me, every time oil and gas gets another day of, 
Well, we just dodge that for another year. Hopefully next year they don't make us actually phase everything out. It's another year that poorer people and poorer nations are going to be taken advantage of by the the 1%. Yeah. No, it's, it's dire times. And uh, that window of opportunity is only going to shrink and shrink as we get further deep into this. So it's just... I don't know how many times are we going to have to cover this without any real change coming. I, I hope next year, I hope I hope next year it's it's not led by someone who has a hand in the oil industry, and that's basically the only that's my only um, request. That's it. Well, I uh, hate to break it to you, Azerbaijan is expected to host COP twenty nine in twenty twenty four. Cool. So we barely moved like a thousand miles. We didn't even move a thousand miles. We probably moved maybe six hundred miles. Yeah, it would be. I'm reading the the New York Times post by Brad Plummer right now and and Max Birick. Azerbaijan would be the third major oil and gas producer in a row to host the annual UN negotiations on tackling global warming. Uh, Yeah, man, it's it's like another year of, you know, I'm not even going to say it's another year of being frustrated because we have a year for like what happened. Let's let this play out, because like I said before, COP28 could be looked back on and said this was amazing or we could look back on it and say nothing happened Yeah, because, and and sorry that you have to edit that. But like last year, I remember us being like, okay, great. So the agreement is basically, we're going to table this all for a year and like come up with a really good plan next year. Mm -hmm. And this seems like a good plan without it being legally binding. Yeah. And the other important part is like, yeah, it's good, but it, it, it should have been great. And the good parts might not even turn out to be that good because there's nothing telling us that it needs to happen. So I am optimistic, but frustrated. I'm, I'm very cautious on how I'm going to view this because right now we really have no idea. And for me to assume that all of the good things that could happen from this resolution, Mm -hmm. you know, will come into play. I think that's naive. But for me to assume that this is going to be absolutely nothing, I think that's naive too, because a a lot of good things were agreed upon. The problem is the good things are not enough and we need the great things to, to really kick into gear if we want to have any hope of of staying at 1.5. Yeah, Uh, no, absolutely agreed. All right. That is it for this week's TPT. Quick scheduling note. We're going to be back next Friday for our last new episode of the year. And then after that, Nick and I are taking some time off for the holidays. We're going to release two more best of interview episodes on December 29th, January 5th, like we did last year. Um, Yeah, but next Friday is our last new episode until January 12th. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. And let me know if uh, you're interested in a social media internship. We'll kick you a couple bucks a month to to make some social media clips because I suck at it and uh, I haven't been doing it as often as I should. Uh, yeah, if you're listening to the credits at this point, slide into our DMs. Nick Chinese produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more of my stuff at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you right here for our last episode of the year before the best ofs next Friday. Peace!